I don't know if you work for a company that has a mission statement. If you were uh, to say the mission statement, could you? <laughs> um, it's interesting that when it comes to the organization of the church, the church is put here by God for a very specific purpose. In fact, uh, we've rephrased our mission statement in Amazing Love, and maybe you know it, you can say it with me. We're here to reach the lost with the love of Christ. And this is not something we made up. This is not something that I said, well, I got a really good idea, guys. This is what we should do. No, before Jesus left, he ascended into heaven and gave one marching order. And that marching order was to reach the lost. That marching order was go and make disciples. He puts us on point that way. And so in our first lesson, we get to hear that direction from our leader, Jesus Christ, of what every church should always be doing, what our church wants to be about and we have that reminder. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. This is right before Jesus leaves and is giving this one direction uh, to his disciples. It's in the worship folder in your Bibles on the screen. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Which is incredible to me, by the way, because this is post-resurrection. And if ever you needed proof that Jesus was the Messiah, it has to be the one who died and rose again and now is in front of you. And what it reminds me is that, that our faith, no matter where you are, it's a work in progress. I consider that with uh, new members, and, and so we love inviting new people, and we're going to celebrate them today. But it, it represents whatever journey you're on, you're not there yet. However far you've made it, there's another level to go. So some still doubted, even the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I love that last part. Is there anyone who would be confident enough to say, I know everything Jesus taught. It's all solid. It's all up here. Would anyone say that? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> and, and so again, we're, we're never done learning more and more. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are the marching orders, the purpose of the church, how great it is to get together and reach the lost with the love of Christ. All right. Well, now I'm going to invite your prayers as we consider our sermon for today. And so I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and uh, then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, so I just thank you that you are with us today and that you have all authority. And we're just asking that as we've gathered as your people, would you use that authority and that power to build your church, that you would draw your people in, for the blood of Christ covers all, covers all sin, and you want all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Extend your kingdom, Lord, and extend it in our hearts as we hear today your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I believe that if you don't know what something is made for, you can't properly use it. I'm a gym guy. I'm trying to go to the gym anyway regularly. I like to go to LA Fitness. And um, it's interesting that if you're new to the gym, sometimes you can look at gym equipment and not exactly know what it's there for. And that can lead to some funny scenarios like this guy. Um, I don't know if you know what this is actually for. Um, AKA, it's not for your neck. 
Uh, this is actually really good. Uh, I have lower back pain, and it helps with hamstrings. So the hamstring that's connected all to the lower back. By the way, if you're having lower back pain, try this machine. Do hamstring curls. It helped me. Maybe it can help you, right? But if no one ever taught you that this is what the machine for for your hamstrings, you could use it improperly. This reminds me of kitchen utensils. Has anyone ever taught you the right way to use a can opener? And the right way, maybe you know this, is not to go from the top. That's going to cut the edges and you're going to try to do this thing with the top, right? You should go around it. Use it on the sides. And that's a better way to use a can opener. You're welcome for that one. What about this one? What is this for? I, I was doing some research finding a, a funky kitchen utensil. This is actually for delicate cake that you don't want to crush. So you know how sometimes you crush it when you do this? So if you want you know, a, a delicate cake cutter, this is your tool. If you have angel food or, or something that you don't want to mess up, this is what you just spread throughout that cake. You're welcome once again. I remember when someone approached me with something I had no clue what to do with. It was a practical joke, and someone gave me this, and they said, you'll know what to do. And then they left me. And the problem is I had no idea what to do. Like, to me, it looks like a big screw. Like, I, I did drywall. Is there, like, a big piece of drywall as well? Does anyone know what this is for? I don't have a dog. See, that's the problem. Cats will never go on this. <laughs> There's no way a cat is going to be on a, a peg in the ground. No, no. Um, yeah, that's not going to work out. But, yeah, this is for a dog, right? But I had no idea. You know, you put the leash on there. Perhaps the, the greatest example of using something in the wrong way is the Little Mermaid. And do you remember what she called a fork? The dingle hopper, right? And so she gets to that dinner, and she's trying to make a good impression, and they're all like, right? You remember that. There's a reason why I brought this up. If you don't know what to do with something, you don't know how to use it properly. And, and I want to transition a little bit from kitchen utensils and gym equipment. I want to transition to us. Now, by the way, I want to welcome you if you're new today, if you're watching online and um, not sure your background, but I'm so excited that you're here checking out the church, kicking the tires. But, but something that you need to know we believe is that God planned on you. God planned on you. You're here on purpose for a purpose. You're not here on accident. You're not put together by happenstance as some random builder. No, you are made exactly by design in an incredible way for something to do. Psalm 139 lets us know this. Psalm 139 is just a great one about life. It's a great one that says, He knit us together in our mother's womb. Maybe you know those words. He ordained all of our days. For example, you didn't pick your birthday. And by the way, I know there were some good birthdays lately, and I want to wish happy birthday to some in our congregation. But anyway, um, you didn't plan your birthday. Someone else did. And look at what Psalm 139 says. It says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. If you've been doubting yourself, if you've been insecure, I want to remind you, fearfully, wonderfully made, on purpose, for a purpose. But the big question is, so what is that purpose? What is that unique thing that God made me for? And some of you have life experience. You've worked different jobs and you found out, you know what, I'm not really uh, good with numbers. I'm more of a people person. 
Or maybe you found the opposite. I'm not really good with people. Maybe you should just give me the numbers, right? It's good to understand how God made you. But when you're a teen and adolescent, you don't have that life experience. In fact, many teens and adolescents wrestle with purpose. I was doing some research on this, and there was a a leading psychologist, um, uh, and and he did a a report on purpose in adolescence, and here's what he found. He said, among teens, the biggest problem is not stress. It's not that they're overloaded, they can handle that, they're growing up into that, but rather it's meaninglessness. And that makes a ton of sense to me. If you're a teacher and you're trying to teach something and they can't figure out why I need this, it doesn't go so well. (laughs) If you're telling them to go get a job, and yet they have enough money because you're the security net, it's very hard to keep that job. (laughs) Why do I need to work when you got me anyway? We need meaning, don't we? Now, I remember feeling this when I was in high school. At an early age, second grade, I wanted to be a pastor. I had this, this picture that I drew um, of uh, me preaching in a pulpit in second grade. Um, not that I was a second grade pastor, but anyway, in second grade, I drew the picture, and uh, everyone else was singing, Do Lord, oh, do Lord, oh, do remember me, an old, oldie but goodie. And so I knew from a very young age I wanted to tell people about Jesus. All I wanted to do, nothing even as close. And along the way, I had to take these classes. I'm like, Algebra 2, augmented matrices. When I'm going to talk with someone as a pastor, when am I going to use my augmented matrix? Are they going to ask me to to get my graphing calculator out and so we can have a dialogue? I think not. So it was pretty hard. Chemistry, biology. These are classes I struggled with internally anyway, and now where are they going to apply as I minister to people? Oh, so hard. It kind of also reminds me of a book that I started reading in high school while struggling with meaning. The book was Ecclesiastes. And I really jived with what Solomon was saying because Solomon looked at all of life and he said, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. I'm like, yes, Solomon, yes. But where is meaning? If you read Ecclesiastes, if you've walked long in life, where is meaning? Now the key in Ecclesiastes was to understand that without God, there is no meaning. But with God, with God, in everything you do, in every schoolwork, in every job you've had, in every relationship with God, it all matters. When you infuse God into a situation and what you do for work, it all then matters as we tie our story to his, and that's what I want to talk about. So we are in this series, Asking for a Friend, and we've considered a great many questions. Why are there hypocrites? Um, should I trust the Bible? Some good dialogue. But, but this one does come up. You know, what am I here for? And uh, it, it's a conversation I've had with an elderly woman who couldn't work the job she used to work, and wasn't able to function in the way she was able to function because her health was failing. And it was that woman who asked, why am I still here and not in heaven? It was a conversation I had with a businessman who worked the same job for 20 years, and it's hard to, to tell what difference am I making? What am I here for? It's a conversation I've had with adolescents who are not in the spotlight, 
And they see the brightest and the best and the popular and in comparison are not. And they're like, well, what am I here for? It's an important question. And God has a profound answer. And so our first takeaway is this, and I'm going to then dive into why this is the case. But I believe you were put here for an incredible purpose. Not by accident, not by chance. An incredible, incredible purpose that I hope God will reveal to you today as we talk. And so the words we're going to consider are uh, Peter's words to some Christians who are under persecution. And if ever you think that life is meaningless or not worthwhile, it's when things aren't going well, right? When things aren't going your way or according to plan, you're like, what's it matter? What's going on, right? And Peter, into this, reminds them who they are in Christ and what they are to be about. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me. How about we shake things up a little bit, stand as we hear the word of God, get that blood flowing. Uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2, here we go. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These are the powerful words of God. Could you turn to your neighbor and tell him you're chosen, you're chosen, and then be seated? It's good to be chosen, right? Maybe you're chosen for a date. It's a good thing. Chosen for a job, right? All right. Uh, as we get going on, on today's word, I don't know if you ever heard of this campaign um, that had the kind of striking terminology, don't go to church. Uh, I remember people wearing shirts that had this um, campaign going on, don't go to church. And during COVID, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe it's, you know, because, you know, people are gathering together and it's too germy or something. Uh, don't go to church because maybe it's irrelevant, you know, um, you can't get anything good. Don't go to church because, well, there are hypocrites there, right? And my mind went racing with all the reasons. Why would you have a don't go to church campaign? I was a little taken back. But then the back of the church, be the church. Aha! Now I can jive with that. I get it now right? Be the church. Because what we know about church is it's not about the steeple, it's about the people. It's not about a building, but us being that building. And be the church is what Peter says is your purpose. What Peter says God puts you on the planet for. That when people would wonder about God, when people would wonder about his goodness, his love, they would see you and then no. When you turn to Peter's verses once again, um, I, I love in verse 5. You can turn there with me. It says, 
So you are living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So what he's saying is basically that if Jesus is the cornerstone, you are like those stones built on top to be that church. The people are the church. And so that's our first takeaway. You are here to be the church. And if we turn to verse 5, it also shows us what we are to be doing. It says you're to be a spiritual house and a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Offering spiritual sacrifices. Now, I don't know what you know about the church, but in the Old Testament, people would bring actual sacrifices. In the Old Testament, my job would look very much different. Instead of looking like this, I'd probably look more like a butcher. Because what people would bring, they would bring a dove, a lamb, a bull. And my job was to cut up that bull, cut up that lamb, sprinkle blood all around, start a fire, and this was the sacrifice that we'd give to God. I'm so glad we no longer do that. (laughs) That was actually, by the way, a big foreshadowing. The blood of animals could never redeem us, could never atone for sin. It was a foreshadowing to this, our altar, where we place this across, and the beautiful sacrifice of Jesus, who is the atoning sacrifice for all who believe, for any sin. Anyone can have redemption through his name. So then, if Peter says we are to be the spiritual household bringing sacrifices, and we're not bringing bulls, and we're not bringing doves and lambs. I didn't bring any of that. Well, then where are the sacrifices? What does this mean? I love how Paul informs us on this. Paul says, you know how to do it in the New Testament? Here it is in Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What do we come with? Ourselves. We come with our talents and abilities. We come with our minds and our aptitudes. We come with all the gifts that God gave us. And we have this understanding that these gifts are not just for me. They're for a higher purpose. And so it's good to understand a little bit of how God uniquely made you. It's good to identify what are my unique characteristics, my unique gifts that I can then bring as a sacrifice towards God. And we want to help you in that endeavor. So I don't know if you've ever taken personality tests. Anyone take Enneagram? Who's, who's taken Enneagram? Okay. What about Strength Finders? A few more there. Myers-Briggs? Disc? Okay. Okay. So we've covered it. You probably take a person. Well, I have a new one that's directed just for church people. And so um, it's called Free Shape Test, and it's actually your, your next step today. Um, and, and what shape stands for is this, that we all have spiritual giftedness, hearts, abilities, personality, and experiences. And it's the collection of those things that when you understand them can help you really find your purpose. So you have homework to do today, and that homework is to go to freeshapetest.com Take the test and share the results with our amazing admin, um, Devin. And we're going to correlate and we're going to see what you found. By the way, it only takes about 15 minutes, right? So you've watched reels that are longer than that. Uh, 15 minutes and, and, and get that in and we will help you then put those skills into the church. We'll be able to consult with you and make sure that your passion points are finally aligned to what God has in mind for you.
But you know what the temptation is? The temptation is to take strength finders and understand who I am and use it only for me. (laughs) These are my opportunities and my gifts, and it's for my kingdom. What this kind of reminds me of is a man who I dearly love named Michael Jordan. Anyone else like Mike? Right? I mean, Air Jordan, jumping from the free throw line. Can you ever be more confident than anyone than the Bulls in the 90s? Come on. Right? When I was growing up, there was this jingle by Gatorade. Oh, it was a great jingle. It went, like Mike, if I could be like Mike. I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Anyway, that was, was, and I sang that, right? And so as a kid who was watching the King of Clutch, man, I wanted to be like Mike. Until his Hall of Fame speech. Now, his Hall of Fame speech was a grown man crying like no one else. But, but the reason I was a little bit off put is because instead of giving glory to anyone else, what he basically went up there and said is, my competitive fire got me here. And he basically was describing all the things that put a log onto his competitive fire, and he had an ax to grind against any coach, any naysayer, anyone who thought was better. And so he used that moment basically to be like, yep, I showed you. And that, to be honest, was a little off-putting. Now, Mike, I still love you. You know, if you want to send me a signed jersey, that'd be fine. I'm sure you're watching now. Um, (laughs) But honestly, we can't pick on him too much because aren't we all tempted to do that? When God makes a way, when he gives an increase, when people notice a, a talent, an ability, a possession that ultimately he gave, isn't there a bit of temptation to say, well, yeah, well, you know, I did work pretty hard. You know, I, I went to this school, and it took a long time to go to that school. And I really tried hard. And boy, do we work hard in this family. And, and the temptation is to say, well, look at me. Yes, I earned it. But we're going to confess soon. Who gave you your mind? Your eye color, your birth date, your aptitude, your height, your hair color, almost everything, your opportunities, your household. Yes, there is a little bit of what we apply, but even the strength to apply is inspired by health and the Holy Spirit. And so too often we're tempted to take the platform and the glory from God. Because that platform is to say, hey, It's all about him. I'm put here on this planet to shine a light for him. If people take notice of me, you know what the opportunity is? To point it to him. One of my favorite pictures of a Christian is is that of someone on a movie set. And on a movie set, sometimes you have someone who's just holding a reflector. And that reflector has one purpose, which is to shine the correct amount of light onto the scene. Right? And so they hold the reflector, not because they're important, because they need to reflect it to what is important, what's going on. That's you. And that's me. When the light comes here, my only job is to take that light. Can you see Jesus? Because, man, if they see Jesus, they'll have their socks knocked off. They'll be astounded. They'll have everything they ever needed, and nothing else will come close. When they see me, oh, (laughs) I'll disappoint you real quick. (laughs) When they see him, they have everything. 
I love what it said about Jesus. It said not only is he the cornerstone, but I had fun translating, it also called him a capstone. And I was doing some research on what a capstone is, and I'm not a builder, but I, I found this to be the case. Um, a capstone is something that goes in the middle, and when you're building the walls, if you don't have a capstone, everything falls down. The walls on the side can't stay up. And it so reminded me that this is how life can feel like. If you've ever felt like, man, my walls are falling down, everything's being torn apart, maybe it's because you need a capstone in your life that holds everything else together. And maybe there are even some Christians here today who knew what it was to have God hold everything together when you couldn't. And I want to let you know if you're looking for that right now, if maybe you came in and it feels like your walls are falling apart and you don't know how to get it together, it's about infusing Jesus in the very middle of whatever that is and letting him hold it. Letting him be strong for you. This is the beauty of Jesus our Savior. Jesus who is that cornerstone, that capstone. And so what are you here for? Let me back up just a little bit for your next takeaway. You are here to give God glory. It's not about using that platform for your attention. It's about taking any platform that God has given you, any influence that God has given you, any power that God has given you, any talent that God has given you, and reflecting it back to God so that others might know him. But before we go, I need to remind you of some beautiful gospel promises. And one of the reasons I picked this section for telling you who you are is because I believe God wants to build you up today to let you know just how much you mean to him. So in order to have this discussion, as, as we move on, um, what I'm really going to pick into is uh, verse 9, and uh, we're going to describe a few of what's going on in verse 9, where it says, You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, something I love about uh, the Chicago area, um, something that is just amazing, is all the different people. Uh, all the different cultures, Right? I don't know if you appreciate that, but um, what it means is that you can experience different cultures just by taking a little journey uh, to a little section of Chicago. One of the things that we've done recently is go to this restaurant called Greek Isles in Greektown. Have you heard of this? And, and, and it's amazing when you go there and you have flaming cheese, saganaki, and they say, Opa, that's a good experience. I'm thinking, I like these Greek people. But, but then you can do other experiences. If you go by the Brookfield Zoo, maybe some of you know that, there is a, a Czech contingent there, and, and you can eat Czech, authentic Czech food at like Czech Plaza, and then know what it is to be Czech. There are Bulgarian areas, Bulgarian uh, cuisine and Des Plaines. There, you can be Bulgarian for a day and go there. Obviously, there's Italian. Obviously, there is German at the Bierstube here in Frankfurt. Frankfurt, by the way, is a German reference. And I love that. I love that when God looked down on people, he said, let's make them different. And different he did. <laughs> but what I recognize is that as you jive with maybe something that I said, and you think of your own influence, maybe it was German or Italian or Greek or Bulgarian, as you think of that, what, what God also did, is he said, my people are going to have their own culture. 
God's people are going to come together. In fact, what Peter said is that we're a holy people. And, and, and what the Greek word for people was here, holy people, was the word ethnos, which is where we get the word ethnicity, uh, which is basically a, a reference to a certain set of people. And holy just means they're going to be set apart. And so what God says about his people is that they're going to be set apart in certain ways. And I think it has less to do with saganaki or what we eat. And it has more to do with how we act. And as we act as a church people, God has one distinguishing feature that should be among all of us. The disciple John picked up on this and said, By this, everyone will know you're my disciples, that you're my people. You're in the God ethnicity group. If you, can you say that word? Love one another. And I think the opportunity to stand out in today's culture is like never before if we get this right. I think if every one of God's people walks out these doors and says, you know what, I'm just going to be radically loving today, people will take notice. And they'll be like, ooh, that's a different culture. <laughs> Not used to that, but I sure like it. In fact, that's some of the response I've heard of what happens when people come to Amazing Love. I love sitting down and talking with our new members, and some of the descriptions were, man, when, when I get here, it's like the weight of the world falls off. When I get here, there, there's such a, a friendliness and such a kindness that, that's going around. And, and that's something that I see in all of you. And it is amazing. It's what God intends. It's what we experience when we have group life together, go to parties together, and just hang out together, that God created us to love one another and care for one another, and how beautiful that is. And so what are you here for? Here's your next fill-in. You're here to belong. See, God never wanted you to be alone or wonder, where are my people? You have people. Welcome. <laughs> you have people who want to love you and support you and walk with you. You're not alone. How wonderful that is. But there's more that he describes in his beautiful gospel. And to talk about this, has God given you anything that you would guard with all that you had? Has he given you a possession or someone in your life that you would protect because it is that valuable to you? Now, I imagine there are some maybe moms thinking about their kids. <laughs> and those kids are so valuable. You'd be mama bear all day long if something were to happen or is about to happen. That's how valuable they are. You know where my mind went? Kind of a strange reference. Do you remember this guy? So if you haven't seen The Lord of the Rings, um, I know it's been a while, but this is Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. And whenever he got the Ring of Power, do you remember how he described it? <laughs> I can't do it, but he called it, <laughs> maybe I should, my precious. <laughs> it was, it was right? Do you remember? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and he was geeked out. He would guard it. He would, you know, have fangs trying to, if anyone tried to steal it, he would try to get it back because it was that valuable to him, right? God looks down at you, but he's not weird like Gollum. And he calls you a special possession. And then God treats you that way. See, God has angels protecting you. I don't know if you know that. In all your ways. 
God is working out whatever problem you came in with for your good right now. I love Psalm 23 where it says, we have a good shepherd. You know what the shepherd does? He leads me into green pastures and beside still waters, and he refreshes me by the daily. And even when things go bad, even if I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, he's there with his rod and his staff, and he's there to comfort me. And how awesome is that? That God, because you're the special possession, will always guard and guide you. So what were you made for? You were here to be loved, radically loved by a God who loves you more than I can describe in words. How awesome is his purpose for your life. But there's one final thing that I wanted to note about this beautiful gospel. As Jesus goes on in the words of Peter, he says that finally we are to be like people who declare such goodness of God that he brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so in the Bible, we hear descriptions of the light of the world. And, and the question is, who is the light of the world? Is the light of the world Jesus or is the light of the world us? So raise your hand if you think it's Jesus. Raise your hand if you think it's us. And raise your hand if you think it's both. So it's both. It's both that God actually made you to be a light bulb. And what does a light bulb do? A light bulb is here to shine. And that's what you are to do in how you love people and how you interact. That as you're shining, you're then shining bright for Jesus. And then reflecting that light to the light of the world. Who is the light? You are that light. Will people take notice? Man, I hope the Spirit empowers you. I hope that whatever hard situation you've been given, you can handle with love and with kindness and gentleness and fruits of the Spirit so that ultimately people won't say, wow, look at you. But you'll be able to say, wow, look at Jesus. Now, as we close today, I realize that if you are new to Christianity and watching online, if you're new in this space, that was a lot to take in. This is a very Christian point of view on why we're here and so if some of this was a lot for you, the last thing that I, I want to let you know is you are here because you're chosen. And how wonderful it is that out of all the people in the world, you were chosen today or maybe even in your past to know Jesus. One of the beautiful things about living this life is hearing the gospel, is being brought into the family. What a great purpose when God chooses you. And I believe every time we gather, it's reconfirming God chose you, he loves you, and he wants you not only now, but forever. May God give you that sense that you've been chosen to walk with him here, to walk with him forever. And may God give you strength to live for him. I'm going to close with a prayer today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just praise you because before I could choose my birthday, you did for me. Before I could choose you, you chose me to belong. Help me by your spirit to escape a meaningless life where my platform or power is just used for me. Guide me in how to bring myself as a living sacrifice in this season and in this place so that many, many more might know you, the light of the world, because we shine. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, as people who gather together, one thing we do is we just confess together our faith 
And today uh, we're going to use the confession of the first article um, and Luther's explanation of how God made us. Feel free to join in. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe that God created me and all that exists, and that he gave me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my mind, and all my abilities. And I believe that God still preserves me by richly and daily providing clothing and shoes, food and drink, property and home, spouse and children, land, cattle, and all I own, and all I need to keep my body in life. God also preserves me by defending me against all danger, guarding and protecting me from all evil. All this God does only because he is my good and merciful Father in heaven, and not because I have earned or deserved it. For all this I ought to thank and praise to serve and obey him. This is most certainly true.